So if you, you look in the culture, you look in pop culture, specifically in sitcoms and TV shows and movies, you know, the model that is constructed for men to walk into and for fathers to walk into is a model that is really not much to look up to. It's really not much of a model to pattern your life after. You know, most of the, most of the models that are out there, they, they paint a picture of a man that's passive, a man that's disengaged, a man that doesn't really care about what's going on with his wife and his kids, a man that is obsessed with things he should not be obsessed with. Uh, they paint pictures of men that are, that are angry and they're overly masculine. And, and there's just this picture of a man that is put out there for us to see as men. And we look at that model and we think, is that really what it means to be a man, to be a husband, to be a father? Is that the, what I should look at? And then not, not only is the overwhelming picture and model in our culture not very good, some of us have come from homes where our father did not give us a very good model to look at and to pattern our lives after as men. And so sometimes it's difficult. You know, where, where, where do we look? Where do we find models? You know, and I, I believe that there are many places that we can find models. There's men of God that, that God could raise up in your life as, as a young man to look at. Pastor Renee has been a model for 38 years of what a man of God is and should be and a husband and a father. And so we, we look up to him and we look up to other men like him. And there's great models out there for us to see. But who is, what's, what's the image and the picture and the model that we should look at as men that we should say, that's who I want to be like. That's who I want to follow. So I, I, I've got a simple answer to that question. And that, that's, in, that's in the Gospels, John chapter 14. We're, we're going to look at John chapter 14 and find the answer to who is the model that we can model our life after as men. So this is unashamedly a message for the men. How many men do we have? Hey, you guys out there? This is a message for the men. Ladies, enjoy it. Don't be elbowing your husband doing things you think, well, I'm saying things you think that he should hear or that's not going to help him. I promise you. But this is a message for, for the men. I think it's okay that we preach a message for the men on a Sunday morning. Because as men go, so go the family. And as men go, so go the church. So it is important that men know what is the model that I have to look up to to follow and pattern my life after. It's very clear in John 14. Or it's going to begin to be clear as we look at John 14. So Philip said to Jesus... Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have, you been with, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me, Jesus speaking of himself, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So what was Jesus saying there? Philip was asking him, show us the Father. And Jesus specifically, very clearly said, if you've seen me, speaking of himself, you've seen the Father. So Jesus is the earthly representation of the perfect father. Jesus is the earthly picture of what our father God looks like. Jesus is 
who the Father wanted to demonstrate to the world He is. And so when we're looking for the model to answer those questions, where, where do we look? Who is the model? Jesus is the model. Jesus is the model, not only for us as men, but for us as men and women, for us to look at and to follow and pattern our lives after, but specifically to speak to men, to fathers, to grandfathers, to leaders. We're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at some of his, his, his attributes, and we're going to look at that to kind of build this picture, this model of what, of what a father looks like. How, how should we function? What should we focus on? What is important? And so I started trying to come up with the attributes, started making this list. And I thought real quickly, I'm going to have about 15, 20-point message here. <laughs> because when you start looking at the attributes of God, who Jesus is, there's so many attributes, and it's going to end up being overwhelming. And I'm going to tell these men in the church, here are the 20 things that you need to follow, pattern your life after. And, if, and as a man, you know, that's pretty much overwhelming, and men just shut down at, at that point. So we're going to keep it simple. I actually had five attributes uh, in the life of Jesus that I was going to bring out. But then I whittled it down to four. To make it simple, I combined two of them. And so let's look at some attributes of Jesus, how he interacted while he was on earth that demonstrated the heart of the perfect father for us as men to pattern our life after. So what are the attributes of our heavenly father as seen in the life of Jesus? What are those attributes? First one is this. Jesus modeled the heart of a servant. Jesus modeled the heart of a servant. And so when, when you talk about what a man is supposed to be, what is a man supposed to be? Most people would say, well, he needs to be a great leader. He needs to be a very demonstrative leader. And, and whenever you get the, the definition from our culture about what a leader is supposed to look like, what a man is supposed to be like, there's some things that are described or, or, or put forth that don't really line up with how Jesus demonstrated how a godly man and leader is supposed to function. Some of those things might be that a leader, a, 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 a man that's a strong leader, needs to be a very great uh, uh, public speaker. He's got to be bold and he's got to be strong. You know, when, when Matt was talking about, um, about the food in the, in the meal train, he talked about uh, poke your side and see if you like to eat. And if I poke my side, it doesn't really demonstrate I like to eat, but I really do. And so a lot of people would look at, would look at me and think, well, he's not really big enough, you know, or whatever. And, that's, and, and those are images and pictures that we typically paint for, for men. They need to be big and strong and athletic and demonstrative and bold and, and, and authoritarian. And that's the image that movies and TV shows and, 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 and things that we encounter that teach that to us. That is absolutely not true. Jesus, who was Jesus? He was the son of God. He was God incarnate, God in the flesh. He had all the authority. He had all the power. He could have walked on the earth and zapped everybody, killed them all. He was God. He could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have made people follow him because he was God. All the authority, all the power. People followed him wherever he went. He had throngs of people that followed him. He had thousands, tens of thousands of people that would follow him because of who he was. And how did he lead? What did he demonstrate as a godly man? And for us as fathers, what did he demonstrate? He modeled the heart of a servant. And there's, there's an account in the book of uh, Matthew that you see that a mother of two of the disciples pulled Jesus aside. 
And she says, Jesus, can you do me a favor? I need you to help my boys out. Can, can you give them positions of authority, one on your right and one on your left in, in your earthly kingdom? You see, because they thought that Jesus was a great leader and that he was obviously going to have this military conquest and establish an earthly kingdom because he was proving himself to be mighty and powerful and strong and he had throngs of people that would follow after him. So this mother had the wrong picture of what a leader was supposed to be. She had the picture that leaders are supposed to move their way up and try to climb up the corporate ladder to have a position of greatness. And so she got in there and said, Jesus, can you help my two boys out? Give them positions of authority in your kingdom. And this is, is Jesus' answer to her in Matthew 20. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord that authority over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen to that answer. How profound is that? Jesus knew exactly what they were after. They were after the position. They were after the power. And I believe that it was the sons that convinced the mother, I can't prove this, but convinced the mother to go to Jesus. I believe that they figured, hey, if my mom goes there, maybe that will give me a little favor because he might not be able to tell her no. But he'll look at me and probably tell me no. These guys were after it. And actually it says later on, it says that, that when they went up to Jesus and the mother asked for those positions, that the rest of the, of the disciples were angry at those two. It proved the motives of their heart. They had a picture of what a man, what a leader is supposed to be like. And Jesus flipped it. Flip that picture on its head. So the first picture of this model that we're building here this morning about what a godly father is, a godly man is, is that it's a picture of a servant leader. And that has to do with our heart. Men, we're not the rulers and the tyrants of our home. We don't, we don't sit there with the, re, with the remote control and it's only my show and nobody else's. Now look, when I get home to, today, it is Father's Day, so we at least get one day. I'm watching a U.S. Open golf tournament when I get home. And I've been doing this for 13 years of marriage. My wife, I've already programmed her. She knows. So today I will have the controller. <laughs> and uh, she will. And she's not here right now because, um, but she's watching live stream. But uh, she's not here right now because my daughter is sick. And so she is with her. But she knows that when Ben gets home for Father's Day, we're going to eat lunch. The U.S. Open is DVRing right now, and I'm going to veg out for five or six hours watching golf. <laughs> but, but men, that our position is not one of this macho man mentality, that it's my house, it's my rules, I rule the house, this is my kingdom, this is my pad, this is, this is my domain, and I'm the boss. Live like that for very long and see how that works for you. See how that goes for you. You know, when my kids are arguing amongst me and Estelle about who's right and who's wrong and them getting their way, they like to always go to daddy and say, or, or tell mommy, daddy's in charge. Daddy's the boss. They try to play that card. But men, fathers, leaders, husbands, our role is that of a servant leader. Jesus builds that model for us. He was the most authoritative, had the most power, had tens of thousands of people following him. And what did he do? He said that, that he came not to be served, 
but to serve. What a beautiful picture. And not only did he just speak that in Matthew, but we see that he lived it out. Let's look at John 13. So this is right before Jesus goes to the cross. This is in the upper room before the Last Supper. They're sitting around the table. And Jesus does something that is amazing. You know, in that culture and time, the person that would wash somebody's feet after they've had a long day's journey coming home would be the lowest of the low servant. And they would come in and take the water and the bucket and the rag and wash people's feet. And it would have been unheard of for a ruler and a leader such as Jesus in these disciples' eyes to get down on his feet and put an apron on and wash their feet. But this is what he did. Let's look at John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to be a servant, came to give his life to lay down his life. That was a picture of why he came. Him washing their feet was a picture of what he came to do. He came to serve us, to lay down his life for us. And so husbands, fathers, men as leaders, that's what I'm I'm calling you to, this new model. Don't look at the picture of the world that tells you that you you have to rule with authority and boldness and, and, and all this gusto as a macho man. You lead as a servant. A servant leader, lead with a heart that loves to give and lay down your life for your children, for your wife. You know, some of you men, maybe you don't have kids and you and your wife are never able to have children. You could be here in this room right now and I just want to challenge you that you can have that father figure role in someone's life to serve them, to love them, to demonstrate to them what a godly man looks like. Being a dad's not easy. Being patient, being gentle, being kind, being loving. It's hard, especially when the kids are young. And then I guess when they're teenagers. I'm not there yet. My youngest, my oldest is 11 years old. He's not a teenager yet, but he's getting there. So all of you that have teenagers, you can come and talk to me later how you managed it. But it's not easy, especially those two stages when when they're young and then when they get older and they're teenagers and they have a strong will. It's challenging. It's not easy to be patient, to be gentle to be a servant, but it's what we're called to. It's what we're called to. Amy Carmichael, a missionary to India, says this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You cannot love without giving. That's the heart of a servant leader. So this is the first, first piece of the puzzle, of the model that we're building, is a servant's heart. That's what God's called us to as men. Let's, let's look at the second attribute of Jesus that stands as a model for us to look at as husbands and fathers and leaders. Second thing is this, is that Jesus modeled having a focused mission. He modeled having a focused mission. You know, Jesus knew from a very early age what he was called to do. You guys know the story? Jesus' family and a whole caravan of other family and friends, they went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And they experienced the Feast of Passover, and then they were heading back home. And Jesus said, at 12 years old, he snuck out from the caravan and stayed in Jerusalem. 
And so they got a couple of days journey away from, from uh, Jerusalem. The family did. And they start looking around and they're like, where's Jesus? At that point, you can imagine Joseph. He wasn't want, wanting to be gentle and kind and a servant leader. He's one that he was freaking out. First of all, where is my son? And then when he found him, you can imagine he was probably pretty upset. But Jesus had a focused mission. Let's look at, at Luke 2, 46 through 49, as Jesus demonstrates this at 12 years old. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple missing for three days. My kid's missing for 10 minutes, five minutes, two minutes, 30 seconds. I'm like, where's my child? This is three days looking for him. Can you imagine <laughs> as a parent? Oh, my goodness. Sitting in the midst of the teachers, 12 years old, both listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And this next answer. You probably would slap your child if they gave you this answer. But Mary knew something about this kid. Verse 49. And he said to them, why did you seek me? <laughs> like, really? Why did you seek me? What are you talking about, son? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? How profound is that? Twelve years old, Jesus knew. He had a focused mission. He knew what he was called to do. He knew why he was here. He was on mission. He was on point. He knew that God had a calling for him and his destiny was to be the lamb slain for all of humanity. And that is why he was born. That's why he was put on planet earth. That's, why he, that's what he was called. He had a focused mission. Another section of scripture here in John 4 demonstrates that Jesus understood his focused mission. John 4, 31 through 35 says this. Meanwhile, the, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. This is after Jesus had had a conversation with the Samaritan woman. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know not about. So the, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Anybody go by Burger King there real quick and get him a Whopper? That we didn't notice it? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do, 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 do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. What's Jesus saying there? He knew why he came. He said, look, my meat to eat, what gives me sustenance is to do God's will. What motivates me is to be about my father's business, to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. This was his focus mission. And I just want to say this, that passivity in a man's life is what kryptonite is to Superman. Passivity in a man's life is like what kryptonite is to Superman. Men, we have to know why we're here. We got to know what our purpose is. We are called and set apart as leaders in our home. We have one of the greatest missions and privileges to lead our wife, to lead our children as fathers, to set examples for them. There is no greater honor and no greater privilege that I, that, that I have than to lead my wife and my children. The idea of leading this church, as we talked about last week, 
It's an amazing privilege. And thank you, all of you, for coming. Many of you came and, 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 and told me great encouraging words. And I got lots of text messages and phone calls of encouraging things. And I appreciate that. And I thank you for that. And I feel what a great responsibility it is to lead this church in the future. But I just want you to know that is secondary in my life. I am a leader of my wife and my children. And it is an amazing calling and privilege that I have. And I, I look at that greater than anything I'm called to do. Because at the end of the day, if I pastor this church well, and I, and I preach God's word faithfully, and you grow in Christ, but my kids hate me, and my wife despises me because of the, because of the ministry, and they want nothing to do with God because I have not been there, and I've been married to the ministry, then I've missed it all. Then I, then, then, then I have traded ministry... For my greatest calling. And men, husbands, fathers, that is our greatest calling. You get the privilege of having somebody call you daddy. Call you Abba, Papa, Pop, Papa, Grandpa, Grandfather. What a great privilege that is. There's nobody else that gets to have that in their life. And passivity. Being disengaged. You know, that's one of the pictures that I, I described earlier that the culture puts out there. Men are just so distracted. Distracted with sports, distracted with TV, distracted with work. So many challenges for us to, to stay focused and stay engaged, and it's difficult. And I, I struggled with this. Struggled with wanting to paint this picture and give you this challenge as men and make you feel bad about yourself. It's not my goal. But somebody's got to put out the right model and talk about the right model. Because it's important that we as men have something to look up to. Just like our kids need someone to look up to, we need something to look up to. Our first father, Adam, he set the pattern of passivity. And we've all been following him, men. You know, look, I'm not always engaged in my kid's life. I'm not always on top of it. My wife nags you like she, oh my God. <laughs> wife nags you like she nags me. <laughs> Be engaged, lead the Bible study. I'm just like you. I make mistakes. But you know how I live? I live with this constant sense in front of me. This constant picture in front of me. Ben, this is your calling. I live like that. That's how I want to live. Have this image and this picture of who I am supposed to be. I know who I am in Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm justified. I stand right before God. None of my good works earn me God's favor. That's all settled. But I have this picture of who God wants me to be as a man. And that's what I strive for. I strive for it daily. And when I make mistakes, I apologize for them. But I can't risk the chance. I can't risk being passive on a consistent basis. Our father Adam set the pattern. What did Adam say in the garden when God came looking for the responsible party? He said, Adam, where are you? And what did Adam say when he came to give account to God? He said he, he blamed two people. He blamed God. And he blamed his wife. He said, this, this woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. He was passive. He didn't stand up, take ownership, take responsibility. And this is one of our greatest callings. We have to be engaged. You have to have that focused mission. If you do nothing in your life other than be a great husband and father, to your kids, be a great father to your kids. At the end of your life, when you bury, when your kids bury you, 
They're going to love you. They're not going to worry about all the money. If you left them money, if you left them a big checking account or inheritance and houses and lands, at the end of the day, what they care about is that they know that you love them. And they know that you cared for them, that you were there for them. So men, the second piece of this model that we're building is a picture of a man that has a focused mission. So with that in mind, with that in mind, say yes to playing catch. Say yes to reading that book. Say yes to going to the game. Say yes to taking her on a date, to going on that bike ride, to going on that camping trip, to meals together as a family. Say yes to praying together, to making God first place in your life and family. Say yes to being fully engaged on mission in the greatest privilege you have ever been given. Amen? John Piper said, said this, Desire that your life count for something great. Long for your life to have eternal significance. Want this. Don't coast through life without a passion. Don't coast through life without a passion. The third attribute that Jesus modeled is this, that Jesus modeled the importance of second chances. Jesus modeled the importance of second chances. You know, I'll tell you a story. And all you fathers and mothers, you can relate to this story, but specifically you dads. You know, it's not just one incident in my life that humbled me with my children, but it was multiple incidents you guys, I'm going to paint the picture for you. You're at the dinner table. Your wife has taken great care to prepare a beautiful dinner. She put the nice china out, and she's ready for a great meal with the family, and everyone's around the table, and you've poured the drinks, the sweet tea, and, 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 or, or the milk, or whatever. You poured the drinks. Everyone's ready. You pray for your food. You thank God for providing, and you start eating, and then your child moves their elbow. You can almost like see it in slow motion. The elbow comes around as they're going to grab their fork and boom, they knock over the big glass of sweet tea. And it goes all over the table, all over the food, all over the floor. And it's just this big mess. And how do you react? Well, if you're like me, ah, Joe, come on, buddy. Are you serious? Or Eliana, ah, watch what you're doing. And you get frustrated and you get angry. Because your little world is messed up. I just want to tell you, I've done that before. Multiple times with my little bitty children. And one day the Lord humbled me and taught me a lesson. Dinner is set. Table's beautiful. (laughs) Sweet tea is poured. I go to grab my fork. Slow motion, elbow, tea, all over the floor. And my kids jumped on it. (laughs) And, And the Lord spoke to my heart. And he genuinely, this is, it's funny right now, but it was a humbling experience. And to the, be, to the best of my memory and knowledge, I, I don't think I have fussed my kids again for spilling a drink. And I apologize to them for fussing them for spilling a drink. You know why? We need second chances. We all make mistakes. All of us spill the sweet tea. All of us mess up the perfect dinner table and make mistakes. And Jesus modeled for us as men who raise children that sometimes expect perfection, he modeled the value of second chances. 
He modeled that in the life of Peter. Who was Peter? Peter was the outspoken one, the loud one. Peter was the one that always put his foot in his mouth, that, that declared bold things about Jesus. He was bold and passionate. And one day Jesus came and found Peter and pulled him aside and said, Simon, Simon, Satan is desired to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And he told Peter, he says, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, far be it from me to deny you. I am willing to go with you even to death. I would never deny you. You are my Lord. I will follow you wherever you go. Bold declaration. Then the pressure was placed in Peter's life. Just like the pressure that's placed on our children's lives. Pressure in adolescence. Pressure in the teenage years. Pressure in the young adult years. Pressure was placed on Peter. And when push came to shove, when the pressure was there, what did Peter do? He denied him three times within eye distance of Jesus. Jesus could see him and and Peter could see Jesus. And on that third time, he denied him. And then it says that the rooster crowed and immediately Peter remembered the word of prophecy that Jesus gave him earlier. And it says that Peter left and he wept bitterly. He made one of the biggest mistakes that a human being could ever make. You know, the greatest sin of all time is to to reject Jesus. That is the unpardonable sin. There is no unpardonable sin except a rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord. That's unforgivable. If you die in a position of rejection of Jesus Christ, you die in your sin. So this is the sin that Peter, he rejected, he denied his Lord, who he knew was God. He goes and he wept bitterly. Story unfolds. Jesus is crucified. He's resurrected. Peter's discouraged. He, Peter, Peter is with the other disciples and he looks at them and says, I don't know what you're going to do, but Jesus is dead. All our hopes are dashed. I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. He went back to do what he did before Jesus found him. Went back fishing. Goes in the boat. He's not successful. He's throwing the net and there's no fish being caught. And, and, and all of a sudden there's, there's a man that's out on the beach. He hollers out and he says, are you having any success? You catching anything? And they say, no. He says, throw your net on the other side. They throw the net on the other side. They get this overwhelming catch of fish. The, the, the net breaks and then Peter remembered. That happened before with Jesus. He knew who it was. He jumps in the water and he swims with all he can to get to the beach. And Jesus is on the beach and it says that Jesus had a fire that was built for him with fish and with bread. And this is the conversation that he has in John 21 with Jesus. So beautiful. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Let's go to the next verse. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
two keys to this section right here. First one is this. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Peter denied Jesus three times. So he asked him three times, do you love me? The other key to this section is this. Jesus used a word for love that was different than what Peter used. The word for love, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, is the word agape love, which is, which is defined as total devotion. So when Jesus looked at Peter, he said, Peter, are you totally devoted to me? And Peter was like, that's why he said it like that. Jesus, you know that I love you. And the word he used for love was like a brotherly affection, a brotherly type of love. The love, a love between a, a friend or a brother. He said, you know I'm not totally devoted to you. I'll, I'll only love you like this. He asked him the second time, same word. Do you agape me? Do you, are you totally devoted to me, to, to me, Peter? Peter's like, you know I don't love you like that. I'll only love you like this. Third time, Peter, do you, are you totally devoted to me? No, Lord, it's, you're grieving me here. You know everything. You know what I did. You know I denied you three times. You know I blew it. You know I made mistakes. You know I'm not perfect. And every time Peter responded with the type of love he had in his heart for Jesus, the acceptance of the fact that he had rejected Jesus, Jesus told him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Jesus restored him, gave him a second chance. He had blew it. He had ultimately blew it. But Jesus models for us the power of a second chance. So, so fathers, I just want to tell you, Your kids need second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and a thousand chances. They're going to make mistakes. And some of you here this morning, maybe maybe you're estranged from your kids right now because because of something that they did. And I just want to challenge you that if you will come to them with a a humble servant's heart and seek to to bring forgiveness and reconciliation and forgiveness, God can begin to heal that wedge that's between you and your son or daughter. Our kids need second chances. And and we should know that more than anybody because we need second chances. Our kids are going to make mistakes. They are going to disappoint us. We must be reminded through the life of Jesus that we are all in need of second and third and fourth and fifth and for eternity chances. And God gives it to us. So the first picture of this model is that of a servant's heart. The second picture is that of a focused mission. We are on mission. We are engaged. And thirdly, is that we value and we, we, we value second chances and we give our kids second chances. We teach them the truth of God's word and we give them a chance to make mistakes and to live it out and make mistakes and live it out. That's what we're called to do. Lastly, the fourth piece of this model is this is that Jesus modeled the necessity of prayer. Jesus modeled the necessity of prayer. I have another story. This specifically has to do with Joel. To talk about the power of prayer. Joel went to someone's house that will remain unnamed. And he went to their house and they had a cat. And this cat loved Joel and Joel loved the cat. And Joel wouldn't put the cat down. This little bitty kitten. Joel, they sent pictures to us of Joel sleeping with the cat. 
waking up with the cat. I mean, just everything you do with the cat, 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 cat. I haven't had a cat in my house for 13 years, and I've been married for 13 years. Never had a cat when I was a kid. My wife had a cat when we got married, but I got an apartment that could not have pets, so we wouldn't have the cat in the apartment. (laughs) Follow me? I don't hate cats, but I don't like them. And so I thought, oh, so cute. We sent texts back. Oh, that's so precious. Joel loves the cats. That's great. And they're trying to pressure me. We go pick up Joel from their house, and Joel is in tears because I told him we're not going to get a cat. Just in tears. And so fast forward a couple of days. I think it was a couple of days. The next day, yeah. Yeah, the other part of the story is here. My niece Gloria is right here. My niece Gloria has a nose for animals, stray animals. So she's driving, headed, were you headed from Thibodeau to Homo or Thibodeau to Shriver? really doesn't matter <laughs> by the Shriver overpass and she sees what she thought was a garbage bag and she pulls around if I saw a garbage bag I wouldn't pull around I'd keep going but she thought in her mind maybe it's a stray animal <laughs> and she she pulls she pulls around and sure enough there's this little bitty kitten I mean just like look like we took it to, we took it to the vet I kind of told you the end of the story there and it's about four or five weeks old And so she brings it home. Now, that night, we are watching the NBA Finals at my father-in-law's. And so I'm there. Joel's there. The whole family's there. And Gloria shows up with the kitten that looks just, I'm not exaggerating, looks just like the kitten that he was with for a day and a half and slept with and was playing with. Almost like a mirror image. So they're building it up. Gloria's coming home with this cat. The kids are already begging me. And so I'm playing it up really big. I'm just like, no, we're not getting a cat. You guys need to pray. So on and so forth. But I knew I was done. I knew it was over. I knew I was a, a new cat owner. I knew I had to have a cat now. But I played it up, drug it out. And so we eventually gave in. They celebrated. We named the cat Iggy. I named the cat Iggy. So I tell Joel, we talked to Joel later. And this is what Joel said. Joel said that when I told him no the first time, that he went and prayed. He went to God. And he said, God, I pray that you would provide a cat for our family and that you would do it right away and that you would do it or it wouldn't cost anything. Are you serious? That's exactly what happened. Within 24 hours and it was free. (laughs) Amazing. The power, the power, y'all don't have to clap. But that is just amazing. The power of prayer. The power of prayer from the heart of a child. So I I told Estelle she wanted to know if we were going to keep the cat. I said, well, I can't argue with God. I can't fight against God. It's obvious that God wants my kids to have a cat. So they have a cat. Jesus demonstrated the necessity of prayer. Let's let's look at this. Luke, Luke 5, 15 through 16. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning, like Pastor Renee, while it is still dark. That's where I, I'm convinced when I read that a couple of days ago. That's, where, that's his life verse. Rising early before dark to pray. He departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. This is our Lord. Luke 6.12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. 
After feeding the 5,000, Mark 6, 45 through 47, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. And while he dismissed the crowd and after he had taken leave of them, he went on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. Then you have the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the most pressure-packed time of Jesus' life. The cross is before him. He's, he's hours from the cross. He's feeling the pressure. And what does he do? He's praying. He's praying. Let, let, let's, let's go to that verse there. I believe that's in uh, Luke 22. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the, the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter in temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. He said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray. Rise and pray. Jesus modeled for us the necessity of prayer. So men, my challenge to you is to be men of prayer, to pray for your children. Pray for them. They need our prayer. Pray for them every day. Pray that the Lord would protect their precious minds from the corrupting influence of our culture. Pray that their hearts would be protected from the enemy and his plan and his scheme for their life. Pray that God would be a shield about them wherever they go. He'd be in front of them and behind them. Pray for our kids that they would have friends that would be godly and would, and, and would influence them for godly things. We, our, our kids need so much prayer. Be men of prayer. Jesus taught us how to pray. Jesus finally, finally in conclusion here, he taught us how to pray. And how did he teach us to pray? Matthew 6. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your father, this is what Derek was saying, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Even before you ask him, he knows what you need. Pray then like this. Our father, our perfect father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So men, this is the, this is the model. God's given us a picture of servant leadership and a focused mission and a desire to give forgiveness and second chances to our children. And then lastly... He's called us to pray, to be men of prayer, to go to the perfect Father and pray for yourself, to go and say, God, Father, I know that that, that you are perfect and you are there and you hear my prayers and I know that I'm imperfect. I know that I make mistakes and I'm frail and I'm weak, but God, I'm pleading my I'm I'm making my plea. I'm coming before you with all of my heart as an imperfect Father and I'm asking you that you'd help me to serve my family. I'm asking that you'd help me to stay on mission, to be engaged. I'm asking that you'd help me to be a man of forgiveness and to give my children second chances. Lord, I need your help. You are the perfect father. There's only one perfect father. 
And we have the privilege of humbling ourselves before him in prayer. In closing, I read an article this morning by Bruce Ashford. It was a Fox News article. You can look it up. It was just for Father's Day. Father's Day article. You can read the whole thing. And I thought it would be great to conclude this message with his quote here. This is Bruce Ashford. He said, so on this Father's Day, let's thank our own fathers for the good we've seen in their lives. And for those of us who are fathers, let's thank God for the opportunity to play a significant and irreplaceable role in the lives of our children. Let's do our best to create a shelter of protection and provision within which our wives and children can live freely and happily under our care. Most importantly, and if you don't remember anything I tell you from this message, fathers, don't forget this. Most importantly of all, let's point our children to God, the only perfect father who has no imperfections and will never let them down. If there's one single thing that we accomplish in our lives, men, and and it's if we point our children and others to God, the perfect father, and we've, then we've been successful. Amen? Would you stand to your feet with me? I want to pray for the men here this morning. And so, whether you are a father or you're not, I want to pray for you. I know this may be a little awkward. may fill up the aisles, but that's okay. If you're, if you're a father, a grandfather, an uncle, if you don't have any kids, no, no nephews, no nieces, but you have spiritual influence in someone's life, you're a man. I want you to make your way down front. And we're going to pray. And the ladies in this house are going to pray for us. Come on, just, let's just do it. It's, it's just going to be about five minutes, and we're going to go. But we're going to pray. Make your way down. Come on, men. Pile, pile all the way down here. Scoot all the way up. Fill in the aisle. It, keep, keep scooting in. Scoot up close. And we're going to let these ladies see this awesome group of men. Amen. Godly men. Amazing godly men. You know, there's a, lot, there's, there's a lot of men who are fishing right now. There's a lot of men who are watching the U.S. Open right now. Instead of being at church. Look at these men. They're here honoring God. Putting their families first. Keep on coming. Keep on coming. I wish I had a count of how many men were here. It's awesome. Amen. I see some men out there who aren't down here. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray for all the men. Amen. Ladies, stretch your hands out to these men. Guys, just bow your head. Just lift your hands and surrender. You know, when you lift your hands, it's a sign of surrender. You're saying, God, I, I am not perfect and I need your help. So, God, we come before you right now as desperate men, imperfect men who don't have it all together. You are the only perfect father. You are the only one who can help us be who we need to be. You are the only one that gives us the strength that we need, the help that we need, the guidance that we need. And, God, I pray for myself and all the men that are here in this room. God, I pray that you would help us 
to be men of character, men of integrity, that we would be men that live lives that, that our children and our grandchildren and, 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 and other ones can, can follow after us. They can follow the pattern of our life because we are men of God, men of character, integrity. God, I pray that you would help us to be engaged in our homes, to not be passive, to not pass the responsibility of the spiritual leadership off to our wife, but to lead with boldness and authority. God, I thank you for the men of this church, for the men of Living Word Church, a great men, a great, a great army of men that are called to lead their families and lead others to Christ. God, I pray that at this root, this is where revival will take place. At this foundation is where revival will take place in our community, in our homes and in our community and in our church. At this foundation with strong male leaders in our church. I thank you for it. Bless these men. Strengthen them. Give them a great Father's Day. We thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.